Thank you, choir, orchestra, high school, middle school. I wish I had been with you when you were out singing, especially at the uh, Fireflies game. I heard that it, it went great. I'm so proud of you and thank God for you. Well, I read a, an article the other day that said 70.6% of Americans identify as being Christian. 70.6% identify as being Christian. Now that number is not as high as it once was, but it is an overwhelming majority, 70.6% say they are Christian. The question that comes to my mind when I read that is, if we represent such a majority, why do we not have more influence than we do? Now, politicians pander to us when they're looking for our vote, but government, by and large, ignores us and the interest we have. The entertainment industry ridicules us. If one wants to make a point humorously, then Christians are the target because nothing is said or done. The fact is, Though we represent 70.6% of the population by self-identification, we are largely dismissed as being irrelevant. Why is that? Well, maybe we can pick up a few ideas from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah served as prophet of Judah under the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah from about 740 to 680 B.C. His name means Jehovah saves. The dictionary of the Bible, speaking of his ministry, said in regard to political relations, he urged king and people to put trust in Jehovah and avoid entangling alliances with earthly powers. How can we be 70.6% of the population and yet have no more influence than we do? Take your Bibles, turn with me please to Isaiah chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 5. Come house of Jacob and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For thou hast abandoned thy people, the house of Jacob. Why? Because they are filled with influences from the east, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land has also been filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. So the common man has been humble, and the man of importance has been abased. But do not forgive them. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. The proud look of man will be abased, and the loftiness of man will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. As I look at this passage of Scripture, I know that it in all probability refers to the second coming of Christ. It is prophetic, therefore it has a word to say to us. 
as I look at Judah at this time, they had been influenced by the east. So it says in verse number 6, For thou hast abandoned thy people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with influences from the east, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. What had happened to Judah is that rather than influencing their world, they were influenced by the world. The Bible says that they were influenced by soothsayers. Well, that's not a normal word for us. We don't refer to soothsayers a lot. So what does that mean? What is a soothsayer? The dictionary of the Bible says it denotes one who professed to be able to interpret dreams and explain dark sentences and to whom men in desperation resorted to obtain, if possible, the revelation of secrets. So that was not uncommon to Judah or to Israel at this time. They sometimes turned to soothsayers, someone who could predict the future. In fact, Saul, the first king of Israel, turned to a medium. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 28, verse 7, Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now Saul, the king of Israel, was trying to determine if he should go to war with the Philistines. And so he turned to a medium, to a soothsayer, to determine if he should begin this war with the Philistines, a soothsayer. I suppose we have our own soothsayers. We have astrologists. We have futurists. We have fortune tellers. I drive down the street sometimes and see a sign that says fortune teller. So there are these that we sometimes look to to predict for us the future. That is what had happened to Judah. Rather than go to God, rather than look to him for direction, they had been influenced by soothsayers. And then it says they were influenced by foreign trade. There in verse number 6c, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Now, as I read that in the commentaries, it said that what had happened to them is that trade with foreign lands, foreign countries, had led to the acceptance of their foreign gods. So they are trading with foreign countries, which led them to accept the foreign and the strange gods of those countries. Isn't it interesting, at least it is to me, that when money becomes the pursuit, when wealth becomes the object, we make some strange relationships, do we not? Earlier this year, we were in Israel. When we came back home, we were on the last American airline flight out of Israel. They were terminating their service to Israel. Well, that seemed curious to me, and so I asked the, one of the attendants, 
I said, why are you no longer flying to Israel? Why are you stopping the flights? And the attendant said to me that they were making plans for Iran, which will be more lucrative for the airline. Now, to me, I think you're flying to the Middle East and you are leaving a country that is the only democracy in the Middle East that is a friend to the United States, and now you're going to begin serving a country that says death to America. Why? Because it is lucrative. You see, when the goal of our lives becomes wealth, when it becomes money, when that is the pursuit my friend, it always leads, whether it is a nation, whether it is an individual, it always leads to a strange relationship. They were influenced by foreign trade that led to the acceptance of foreign gods. They were influenced by wealth in verse number 7. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land has also been filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. God had warned the Hebrews about putting their confidence in wealth and military might. He had warned them about doing that. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16, the Hebrew shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. That was speaking of instruments of wars. It was speaking of assembling the military, putting their confidence in the military. He says in the next verse, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Why is that? Why did God warn them, be careful that you don't put your faith in military might or in wealth because that becomes the source of our security and God wants us to look to him. God is saying when you look somewhere else, whether it is to wealth, whether it is to military might, you're looking in the wrong place. God intended for our dependence to be upon him. I think the warning probably applies to us as a nation also because sometimes our alliances and our treaties can become a substitute for our faith in God, can they not? I mean, if I have this alliance over here with this country, I have this treaty with this country, then I am secure. So my confidence then is in the treaty, it is in the alliance rather than in God. When we look to wealth rather than to God, we are looking in the wrong place. Dennis Davidson wrote, when God's people are filled with the fullness which the world offers, they become empty toward God. That's exactly right. When we become full of what the world provides, I can assure you we have become empty of what God provides. And that's the reason that he warns us about that because then it leads to idolatry. Verse number eight. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands that which their fingers have made. You see, Folks, what happens to us is that when we turn away from God, we always turn to idols. Matthew Henry wrote, Those that think one God too little will find two too many, and yet hundreds not sufficient. Israel had always vacillated back and forth between God and 
idolatry. If you read the Old Testament, you know that. They constantly were going back and forth between their worship of Jehovah and God. You, you recall when Moses went up on Mount Sinai where he received the Ten Commandments. So he was up there with God receiving the Ten Commandments, being given the Ten Commandments. Because he was gone longer than the people thought he should be gone, they decided that he wasn't coming back. So they went to Aaron and said, make us a God. And so the Bible says in Exodus 32, 1, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. There has always been that vacillation with the people of Israel between Jehovah and idolatry. And folks, we also, I am afraid, have turned away from God and we have turned to idols and that is evil. Why? Because it insults God. Look at verse number 8 where he says, The land also has been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. When we worship that that is created rather than the creator, that is an insult to God. It is evil because it is a rejection of God. When we turn to idols away from God, then we turn away from knowing Him and worshiping Him and fellowshipping with Him. We reject God and it is evil because it is self-reliance. Now we are relying upon ourselves rather than God and that is evil. It also gives us a false confidence. You'll notice in verse 22, Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils. For why should he be esteemed? The confidence that Israel had was in man. And the point of that verse is that man's life is limited. Stop putting your faith in man. Because his life is limited. Today I'm fearful that we have a false confidence. Though we have turned away from God, we have money, we've made alliances and treaties and so forth. We have turned away from God and therefore have a false confidence. Now where's God in all of this? What happens? When the world influences us, rather than us influencing the world, what happens? Well, we don't need God. And so we remove Him, verse number 9, So the common man has been humbled. And the man of importance has been abased, but do not forgive them. Matthew Henry wrote, God had advanced them. This is what God had done. God had advanced them and put honor upon them, but they basely diminished and disparaged themselves. Their actions had humbled them. Here are the people of God. God had blessed them. God had honored them. And now then they turn away from God. And the Bible says that they bow down to the idols of the households, the common gods of the household. Matthew Henry wrote, they bow down to the stock of a tree. Now here are the people of God, they're bowing down to a stock of a tree. The picture that you have there is a man goes out into the forest, he cuts down a tree, he takes the tree back, he uses some of it to burn, to warm himself, he uses some of it to cook with. And then he takes a portion of that tree and he carves out an idol. And he sets it on a pedestal and then he bows down to worship that that he has just created. What he is saying there is they've humbled themselves. You see folks, when God is removed, it always results in the degradation of man. When, 
when God is removed from lives, we're, we're not stronger. We are not more. We are degraded because we have left God. And that's what he says. Man may not recognize it, but God still remains. He appears. Verse number 10, enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. You see, they thought that they had removed God. Now then they are bowing down to the idols that their hands have made, but God remains. And when God appears, what do they do? When God appears, what does man do? He hides. Look at verse number 19. And men will go into caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and before the splendor of his majesty, majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Man has always tried to hide when God appears. Did that not happen in the Garden of Eden? The Bible says that Adam and Eve had disobeyed the Lord. They had disobeyed the command of God. And then they heard God walking in the cool of the day. What did they do? They hid themselves. Genesis chapter 3 verse number 8. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now the scripture says that is exactly what is going to happen during the tribulation period. When God appears, the Bible says that man will attempt to hide from God. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 15, And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Disobedient man attempts to remove God. God appears and man tries to hide from him. How foolish can we be? How can one hide from an omniscient, omnipresent God? God knows where you are. He knows where I am. He knows what we do. You know, as I was thinking about that, God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. Now, students, mom and dad may not know what you do. God does. Husbands. Your wife may not know what you do. God sees. Wives, your husband may not know. God does because he is omnipresent. Man has always thought he could hide from God, but that is an impossibility. And so God appears and man is humbled. In verse number 11, the proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. When God appears, man is humbled. Matthew Henry wrote, those things which they were proud of, they shall be ashamed of. Pride always ends in a fall. It always does. Jesus said, he who exalts himself shall be abased. Man is humble and God alone is exalted. In verse number 11c, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Ladies and gentlemen, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Doesn't make any difference who it is. There is coming a day because he alone will be exalted. All right. 
How then, we know what the situation is. How can we reclaim a nation for God? How can we reclaim a nation for God? A number of years ago, Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth with a Mission, and Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, both had visions in which they saw mind molders that shape a nation's culture. God told them if they could capture these mountains that they could turn a nation to God. If you can capture these mountains, you can turn the nation to God. It seems that there was a vision from God for both of these men about these mind molders. What are they? What are these mountains that can be captured to turn a culture to God? First of all, they said religion. Because religion is important because it shapes a or determines a nation's morality. Now, here, here's the problem that we have. We are 70.6% of the population, but we are so divided that we are weak. We can't agree on anything. I mean, you know, we, I mean, we have First Baptist over here, First Prayers over there, Washington Street over there. You, we are so divided, not, ju not just in location, but we are so divided that we have become weak when there is strength in unity. I, I'm not talking about uniformity here. It doesn't bother me at all that, that uh, the people across the street interpret the scripture this way and those over there interpret it this way. That doesn't bother me. We interpret it this way. They may be right. Don't think they are. If I thought they were, I'd be over there preaching. <laughs> but that's an interpretation. So, but on those basic things, those things that are important, can you imagine what would happen in this country if all of us who named the name of Jesus, 70% of us who named the name of Jesus, were committed to the scripture, we were committed to righteousness, we were committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, the change that it would make? You see, that is the strength of the Muslims, is that they are absolutely committed to reaching this culture for their belief. Committed. Ed Warfield wrote, successful Muslim businessmen are expected to finance the building of mosques and training centers for young Muslim minds and hearts. Is it astounding to you that we represent 70% of the population and have so little influence? They have such a small percentage and such influence. Years ago, before this ever became an issue, I was talking with Ronnie Simon in Israel and he said in, in, when the Muslim population becomes 2 to 3% of, the, uh, of, of a country, of the, of the nation, they begin to change the culture of the nation, 2 to 3%. When it reaches 2 to 3% of the population, they begin to change the culture. And we are seeing that. How is it that they can do that with 2 to 3% and we can't do it with 70%? You have to reach the religion. That is one of the mountains they saw in the vision. We have, we have to reach, we're going to have to get serious about our commitment to Christ if we're committed to Christ. The second mountain they saw was family. Family is important because it determines a nation's stability. And that's the reason I think that we are so unstable today because the family has deteriorated. We, don't, we can't even define family today. 
And in many instances, the government has replaced the family today. We don't look to each other when we have needs in the family. We look to the government instead. So they said, if you're going to change the culture of a country, then you have to capture the family. It has to be built. It's foundational. It has to be built again upon the foundation. Third is education. Education is important because it determines our future. Education in this country was founded upon a biblical heritage. Did you know of the first 108 colleges established in this country? 106 of them were built on the Christian faith. 106 out of the first 108. That includes Harvard, William and Mary, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Dartmouth, Brown, so forth. They all have a Christian heritage. And yet today in our school system, there's an attempt to remove God from it. Built, the education system in this country was built upon a faith in Christ, the, the Word of God. Today we attempt to remove I'm not talking about teachers here. I thank God for those godly teachers who are doing the best they can. I'm talking about the system. The fourth mountain is government. Government is important because it determines our freedom. I'm not anti-government. Government is necessary. It is important. The Bible says in Romans 13, 3, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. So government is necessary to provide order and safety for its citizens, but it is to be limited. Our founding fathers wanted it to be limited because government has a way of always encroaching on the rights of the citizens. This past week, the Department of Justice sent letters to the education uh, departments around the nation saying that they had to provide uh, gender-neutral bathrooms. <laughs> I really don't even know how to respond to that. I think the world is on fire. The world is going to hell and, we're, and the government is playing around with bathrooms. And I know that there are a lot of people who think that it is the fault of... Um, of certain people. How did that actually begin? I don't recall that being an issue five years ago. Do you? I mean, was that an issue? Did I miss it? Were there protests in the street, petitions people were signing saying, we've got a problem here? No. The mayor in Houston decided that they wanted gender neutral bathrooms, and so she declared that they were going to do that, and the people of Houston said, no, you're not, and they didn't. The mayor in Charlotte said, we are going to have gender-neutral bathrooms. And the legislature said, no, we're not. There wasn't an issue before that. The legislature said, no, we are not. And so we'll see how it turns out. Now the Department of Justice says, no, all of you are going to do that. I know too many women who have children. I know good and well that they're not going to let their seven-year-old daughter go into the bathroom where they don't know who's there. I think sometimes the government has absolutely lost its mind. There are three areas in which the government has no authority over the people. One is prayer. The government's instructed that there was not to be any prayer. Jeremiah prayed. He resisted. That is concerning worship as well. They tried to do that in Acts. They resisted. It is also concerning witnessing. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40, they flogged them and ordered them to speak. No more in the name of Jesus they resisted. I've got to hurry because I'm running out of time. The fifth is media. 
The fifth mountain is media. Nations media determines its understanding. And so media today is largely worldly and hostile to God. We saw that with Disney putting pressure on the governor of Georgia concerning the freedom of religion legislation. I'm grateful for godly films, for godly filmmakers who, may, who are now beginning to make some Christian films. Thankful for that. They said the sixth area is business. A nation's business determines its prosperity. Unfortunately, there are many businesses who use their position and their power and their influence for ungodly purposes. Target has established a policy of gender-neutral bathrooms. Almost a million and a half Americans have signed petitions saying that I'll no longer shop at Target. Those petitions were taken to Target and it was suggested that if you want to, why don't you put a small gender neutral bathroom in your stores? They refused to do so and said, no, we're going to abide by the policy that we have. I'm grateful for godly businesses, for Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby. Many of you are involved in godly businesses and I thank God for you because you make a difference in our world. Let me conclude. Is your life being influenced by the world or are you influencing the world? We can reclaim our world for God by being salt and light in this world. The mountains that they saw, religion determines our morals. Family provides our stability. Education, a future. Government protects freedom. Media gives us understanding and business determines our prosperity. If we're going to change the culture, then we have to capture these mountains for Christ. Our Father, we come to you at a time like this and Lord, our hearts are heavy. We desire to see a nation under God. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, raise up men and women, young people, who would be absolutely committed to you and they would begin to capture mountains for Christ, that you would turn us to you. Send us revival, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll stand sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to him today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Just be obedient to God during this time. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.